0: So here we are in Colossians chapter one, and Paul is writing the, the Colossian letter to help deal with some false teaching in the Colossian church. And as the situation always is, Paul—if you'll read Paul's letters—he always spends some time talking about what he is as a minister, and what he has suffered in the ministry, and how much he loves the people, and how he and how he has gone about his ministry. And you could get the idea that Paul just likes to brag about what he's doing. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's not what he's doing. What he is doing is setting an example for us to follow. So may God give us ears to hear as we go through this passage of Scripture. Paul admonishes the Philippians in this way. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That is Paul's call. As he is pursuing Christ and being equipped by Christ to minister to the churches... He is saying, follow me. We saw a little example of this in the San Antonio series. I got a chance to watch the series. I was excited about that. hadn't watched the full series in quite a while. So we get down to the last game, which was Sunday night, and LeBron James is telling his, his team, listen, we can win this. We can set a new record. And then he says this, follow my lead. That's what he said, follow my lead. Well, he wasn't able to carry through on that promise, and the Spurs were victorious. No response to that. All right, here we go. All right. Yes, very grateful for that. All right. This is what Paul is saying. Follow my lead. I'm not here just to be the one-man show who does all the ministry. This is about you, because you've not just been saved to sit. You've been saved to serve. So the first point we're going to talk about today, we're looking at the example Paul gives us of a good minister. And our goal here is to engage our minds and ask ourselves the questions, are we being faithful in the ministry God's given us? God has given each of us a ministry. We each have a sphere of ministry and interaction with people. The question is, we're being faithful in that. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we read the following. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You want to take good works out and put in ministry? You can do that. We have been created, we are new creations in Christ, created to minister the gospel of Christ to all men and women. And he says, which God prepared in advance. These good works God prepared in advance that you would walk. In them, there's always this picture in the church, and the confusion between the laity and the professional pastor. And the way it goes is the pastors do all the ministry, and the church the church members are the ones ministered to. May I say that wears out the pastors when that happens? So I remember my very first pastorate. I was up in Oregon, Ohio, way back in 1989. A long time ago. Some of y'all were even born then. We're moving on down the road, aren't we? And we had one member in our church that every once in a while I get a phone call from, and he was in the hospital. I remember the first time I got a phone call from him, I rushed down to the hospital. I thought it was a life and death situation. I got there, and he was sitting in his bed, and he was having his breakfast. And, and um, so I was talking to him, and uh, I found out that he doesn't... Go to the doctor. When he gets sick, he just goes to the emergency room. But this was the pattern in his life, and so every once in a while I'd be in my office studying on, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, and I'd get a phone call. It was Brother George. Hi, Brother George, how are you doing? Doing great, Pastor Paul. Just wanted to let you know that I'm in the hospital again. That was code for, get in your car, (laughs) drive down to the hospital, give me a visit. And I went down to the hospital and gave him a visit. This concept of ministry is foreign to the scriptures. The scriptures view all people who have been saved by Christ as ministers. To carry the gospel to all people and to help all people become mature in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, we read the following. We know this verse very clearly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. And then right after this, this is what Paul says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So he tells the people they are new creations. The next thing he says is, you've been given a ministry. It is a ministry of reconciliation. And we could go on down that passage and it says, we are now ambassadors for Christ. It's a tremendous privilege and honor to be an ambassador of the United States at any U.S. embassy in the world and to speak for the United States. May I say, brothers and sisters, though you may not appear to be as dignified or as prestigious as the American ambassadors around the world, may I say to you that you you are a greater ambassador than they. Because you are an ambassador for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he, our job is to tell people what our king has to say. Our job is to share the message of the king and call them to get into right relationship with him. This is a tremendous privilege. Ephesians 4. 11 through 13, again, we're just under the title, We're All Ministers. Not just Tom and Bob and Paul and Cody. We're all ministers. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. The scripture says, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints... For the work of ministry, for the building of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why does God give the church teachers and apostles and prophets? To equip the believers, the ministers, to be able to minister. This is really our vision as elders at, GF, at, FB, at FCF is to be able to equip you to carry out the ministry that God has for you. You touch people that we don't touch. You're in contact with people we don't have contact with. And this is what causes the word of God to spread. Notice he says, to equip the saints for work of ministry, the purpose is to bring everybody to maturity. So you come across a person, and they don't know Jesus. They're like a negative ten. Your job is, as best you can, to proclaim the gospel to them and bring them to the point where they trust Christ. And then if you run into somebody who's a two, it's to continue to help them by showing them and teaching them the word to bring them to the point where they become a ten, where they become mature and complete in Christ, and where they are ministering to the people in their sphere. This is the beauty of multiplication. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not about a bunch of superstars who basically bring the gospel to everybody else. Jesus did not pick a cast of superstars. The 12 disciples were not superstars, they were tax collectors, they were fishermen. They were a ragtag group, and they were described in Acts as unschooled, ordinary men. The amazing thing about who God calls to be ministers is that we are, in God's terms, unschooled, ordinary men or women. But because you've been saved, you've been saved to minister. Romans 12, 6-8 having gifts, talking about, again, the saints, us, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We all have different spheres of ministry, And we also have a common sphere of ministry, and that is this body of believers. This morning, we want to see Paul's example in our lives and ask ourselves the question, what is lacking in my ministry? What am I not doing that I should be doing? Paul, in Romans 12, says the body should be ministering to each other. The picture Paul doesn't have is that the, the leaders of the church are the only ones doing the ministry. It is that there's ministry going on as each person is gifted according to the gifts God has given them. To teach or to serve or to give or to lead, whatever those gifts are. And every person who knows Christ has, is, is gifted to be able to do that ministry. First question this morning, or second or third question, whichever one we've got to. Do you see yourself as a minister of Jesus Christ? Or do you just see yourself as somebody who attends church? What is your sphere of influence? Who has God put you around that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are the lost that you can touch? So who are the saved people around you you can strengthen? Who are the lost that you can touch? Who are the Christians who need to be encouraged in their walk? So first of all, we're all ministers. Secondly, let's look look and understand the fact that Paul understood his stewardship from God. Paul just didn't decide one day he was going to be a minister of God. Matter of fact, he thought he was a minister of God, but he was persecuting the church. And he came head-on into Christ on the road to Damascus and was knocked to the ground. And he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus there to be a minister to, of all people, the Gentiles the people that the Jews couldn't stand. He was commissioned to go to them. I want us to understand that just like Paul was given a stewardship from God as we read in this passage, we have been given a stewardship as well. Paul clearly realized that his ministry was not of his own choosing, but that he was chosen and appointed by God to carry out this work Among the Gentiles. Notice how he references it in Colossians. Colossians 1 Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. Why is he an apostle? Clearly, not by his will, but by whose will? By the will of God. Colossians 1 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. I was given an assignment to minister to you. To make the word of God fully known. This is each of our ministry, brothers and sisters, in our influence, in our areas of influence, to make God's word fully known. It wasn't just Paul's job. Again, Paul says, follow my example. First Timothy 1.12 I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Here's the amazing thing. Is Jesus doesn't choose the best and the brightest. He chooses those who are his enemies, those who are the blasphemers, those who are the persecutors, those who are the insolent opponents. These are who we once were. Are you qualified to be a minister of God? No, you're not. Is Bob qualified? or Cody, or myself, or Tom. No, we're not. God has to qualify us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and to make us a new creation so that we are now qualified, even though we're still dealing with our sin, to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul realized he wasn't worthy of this. Remember Paul's statement? Uh, the statement is worthy of truth. I am the chief of sinners. Didn't say I was, he says I am the chief of sinners. Paul constantly remembers his persecution of the church. Paul constantly, I'm sure, remembered the stoning of Stephen as he held the garments of his fellow brothers as they thought they were serving God by killing Stephen. 1 Thessalonians 2 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul understood where his stewardship came from. His stewardship came from God. Therefore, who was he to please? He was to please God, wasn't he? I think it's interesting we're starting a little series here on pleasing man. Being concerned about being a man pleaser. We all struggle with pleasing men and wanting to be accepted by men. If we have that to the degree that a lot of us have it, we become completely ineffective for Christ. Because to be able to please God means you run against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's no way those two run on the same highway going the same direction. If you please Christ, I love this quote by a pastor. If you please Christ, it does not matter whom you displease. If you do not please Christ, it doesn't matter whom you please. And a lot of us need to do a little heart check. Am I a man pleaser or am I God pleaser? Some of us are never going to be as fruitful as God intends us to be until we seek to please Him first and foremost. This is where the suffering comes in. This is where the sacrifice comes in. When you have to tell people things they don't want to hear. Like the gospel. Like the fact that they're rebels against God. And that they're, they're going to be judged by God. And that they can't save themselves. And only Jesus saves them. That is an offensive message to the pride of men. if you're a pleaser of men, you're not going to get that message out. You're going to tone it down, sift it around, and it's going to sound something like this. Don't you want to trust Jesus so you can be blessed the rest of your life? Our worthiness, let's remember this, comes from Christ's finished work. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the will of God. That's where your worthiness comes from. That's where my worthiness comes from. The finished work of Christ, the indwelling Spirit of God, and the will of God. Beyond that, I have no worthiness. Christ makes us worthy. Even though we see our shortcomings... He makes us worthy. If you're constantly trying to make yourself worthy, you're on the wrong track. Christ died for you, gave you his righteousness, has stamped you worthy to be his minister and given you a task to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. Paul says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul's understanding of his stewardship required him to proclaim the truth of the gospel. It required him to minister. He understood this was not just some choice he had made to be religious. That he had been captured by Christ, he had been commissioned to a task. And he was to carry out that task. Preaching the word in season or out of season, it did not matter to him. For Paul, the obligation of his stewardship was always with him. It was a trust that he must fulfill. Just like the executor of an estate has the obligation to execute the will with all of its stipulations. Or the parent has the obligation to raise up their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Or the soldier has the obligation to do his duty in every battle. Do you sense that you have a stewardship from God? This week, William Kyle Carpenter was awarded the Medal of Honor. A lot of Medal of Honor recipients don't get a chance to have the medal put around their neck because they're dead. 2010, they were fighting in Afghanistan. They were fighting an, up, an uprising of the Taliban. They were on a rooftop. He was a machine gunner, and a grenade came being lobbed over onto this roof. He could have found a way to get away from it instead to protect his fellow soldier with him, he went to get it. And when he did, it exploded. It blew off part of his jaw. It destroyed his, one of his eyes. It collapsed his lung. It broke his arm in 30 places. After 40 surgeries and two and a half years of hospital stay, He stood there this week and received the Medal of Honor. That is understanding duty. That is understanding your stewardship and what you're called to. The question I have for us is, do we understand that? that we have a king who died for us and has commissioned us to be ministers. Do we see ourselves as having a stewardship from God? Or do we simply see ourselves as volunteers that can show up when we feel like it and serve when it's convenient? I really believe this whole issue of stewardship is critical for how we serve. If William Kyle Carpenter just saw himself as a volunteer, when that hand grenade went on the roof, I'm out of here. Simple enough. Exit stage right. Paul is not some unusual minister who has this stewardship from God. You have been bought with a price. You have a stewardship. I have a stewardship from God. And it's time that we took it as seriously as Paul did. Notice... 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul's at the end of his life. He's writing this letter to to Timothy. And you you can just hear the stewardship coming through his words. Very familiar words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He is getting ready to lay it down, and he goes, I did it. I carried out the stewardship he called me to. Now, some of us would think that he had a worldwide ministry, Do you realize that most of his ministry happened in Asia Minor? That's where most of his ministry happened. He made his way over to Rome. And yet, because of his ministry, it has had an incredible impact upon the kingdom of God. Do you realize Jesus' ministry was confined to the little nation of Israel and to 12 men? In American Christianity, we think it has to be big, it has to be grand, we have to have the place packed out. Most of Paul's churches were small congregations of faithful saints. The question is, and most of us have small spheres of influence, are we despising that? Or are we looking and saying, God, who can I share Christ with that they might come to know you? Who is a Christian who I can help step up and become what God is calling them to be? Again, the disciples were unschooled, ordinary men. I am grateful for Peggy Freeman. Peggy Freeman had married a Messianic Jew. She went to my church when I was... 11 years old and she found a time whenever she was watching the kids to take us off into a room and to share Jesus with us and she gave me the clearest presentation of the gospel I'm grateful for a lady who was a missionary wife came to a little small West Texas town Colorado City and started meeting with a young Girl in high school and helped her trust Christ and grow to walk in faith. That's my wife, Lori. Insignificant people who were just being faithful with the gospel. May that be true of us. But we're going to have to have a bigger view of our stewardship than just we're volunteers. Or or we just come to church and this is kind of part of what we do, but really our life's much busier than this. We don't have much time for all that. And we don't have much time for ministry because we're so busy with everything else in life. We're busy people. The question we need to ask ourselves is are we busy with the stewardship we've been given? Better to ask that question now than at the end. Next point, Paul understood the necessity of suffering and sacrifice for the church. And Bob did a great job of covering this last week. I just want to hit a few points. Colossians one twenty four: Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. Paul understands that for the kingdom to expand, suffering must take place. He gets it. He understands it. Nothing's going to happen as far as the expansion of the gospel unless there's sacrifice, unless there's service. And Paul says, I suffer for you, Colossian people. I suffer for you. And we talked last week about the fact this is not talking about Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. We had to have a better sacrifice than that, so Paul's going to sacrifice. No, that's not what this is talking about at all. The word here is never used to refer to Christ's sufferings on the cross. So this idea of suffering that's talked about here is not referring to the suffering that Christ experienced. And the problem of living in America, there's a blessing to living in America. The blessing is there's not persecution. That's also a curse, by the way. And the other challenge with America is that we can easily forget our God. Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6, 11, and 12. Just real quickly. Paul's t- uh, Moses is talking to the people before they go into the promised land. And he's exhorting them to live for Christ, or live for God, and he's exhorting them to teach their children the commands and to be faithful and all these things. And he gets down here to verse, about verse 10 and a half, Deuteronomy 6. And he says, let's we'll go with verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you... With great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, when you're satisfied, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. They did that. They forgot the Lord their God. And God's anger was kindled and he removed them from the good land he gave them. Rejoice in the blessings of God. Rejoice in the the blessing of prosperity. Don't Forget the Lord your God. And don't forget your stewardship as a minister of Christ. And use the resources you have to propel His kingdom forward. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. But there's a danger in them in that in our nature we can forget our God... And we can forget our commission from God. Joseph's son, a Romanian pastor, made this comment. I think this is really helpful. Talking about Paul's suffering and Christ's suffering. He says, Christ's cross was for propitiation. Ours is for propagation. What's he saying there? Real simply, Christ's suffering accomplished salvation. Our suffering will what? Spread the message of salvation. It takes both. Our suffering in no way pays for anyone's sins. But our suffering causes the, the wonderful message of the gospel of Christ to be spread throughout the world. And may God grant us grace in these days to equip ourselves more and more to share that gospel, to be faithful to do that, to be faithful to sacrifice. There's no reason to look for suffering. It will come our way. But we need to be faithful while it's not here, Paul understood to advance Christ's kingdom, he was going to have to suffer. Matter of fact, when he had this, when he was blind, and 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 an, uh, Annas who came to him was told by God, show him how much he must suffer for me. should we be surprised that suffering is part of what it's about? We Look at Hebrews 12. Jesus obviously suffered. We're told to run with endurance the race that is set before us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and his seat at the right hand of God. Jesus, even in the midst of the cross, did it with joy because of what it would do it would set the captives free we're sitting here today because of christ and what he did so not only does christ suffer for our salvation to purchase our salvation but we also suffer to get and spread that word wherever we can i think about my friends who went to uganda Lived in Fort Worth, Texas all their life. They're now now living in the jungle in Uganda. Little little camp they have there, about 100 acres. They're working with people. There's mamba snakes there. They bite your kid, it's pretty much over with. They get there, they're exhausted. For some reason, there's not provision made for them food-wise. Their kids are going With minimal rations for days. It's part of the gospel. They've left behind the conveniences of the West. A hot shower is a luxury, malaria is a possibility all the time, a reality. There are saints around the world who are ministering the gospel. It comes with suffering. 2 Corinthians 6 4. This is what Paul says. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by what? Great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left and then he says through honor and dishonor through slander and praise we are treated as impostors, yet we're true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul is showing us, he's painting a picture of what it means to follow Christ. You know, many pastors are not prepared for the sacrifice or suffering that goes with the ministry of the gospel. I was not prepared for it. I had visions of grandeur, of preaching great messages like Spurgeon, and teaching the people, and having everybody growing in Christ, and loving Jesus, and, and full, a full auditorium, and all these things. And nobody ever said, you know, it's going to be a little hard. Fifty percent of the ministers starting out don't last five years. That's kind of a pretty high attrition rate right there. One out of every ten ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. Only one out of ten people will actually finish their life as a minister of the gospel of Christ. Twenty years ago, I went to a pastor's conference in which John MacArthur was speaking and he was speaking on 2 Corinthians. And you got to love 2 Corinthians because it's all about suffering. And he was talking about how he did ministry and how, how suffering was part of that. And, you know, in the church there's always something going on and You know, you're always, there's someone who has a situation of a need, or there's some need for counseling, or there's other situations going on. And he made this comment. He said, you know, I've learned in the ministry that if I can actually take my breath and look around and go, hmm, everything seems peaceful. He says, I know something's going on. I just don't know about it yet. It's kind of like children in the household, right? All the kids are in the household, and they're all, all wild and everything, and then all of a sudden it gets quiet. And mom's first response is, oh, the kids, are, the kids are quiet. Next question. What are the kids doing? Who knows what they're doing? Whether they're washing clothes in the toilet, or they're climbing, down the, climbing out the window, who knows what's going on in the situation? Or they're cutting somebody's hair. That's a nice one. Yeah. Or they found the paints. It's time to do a little drawing on the walls. All we're saying is to be a minister of Christ in whatever your context, don't expect it to be easy. It's going to be rewarding. It's going to be wonderful. But if you're, if you're waiting for a picnic and you're idyllic about life, um, it's not going to be there. It's going to be challenging. Are you willing to sacrifice and suffer for the church as a minister to the saved and the unsaved? Do you realize that as you're out there proclaiming the gospel to people you don't know from Adam who don't know Jesus, those people could, could be in your church one day? Listen to what Paul said in, in, uh, in Acts 18. Um, he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. This was at the church of Corinth. This, this was when Paul had visited Corinth. This obviously before the letters were written to Corinth. He says, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. And this is why. For I have many in this city who are my people. Why was Paul to stay there? There were many in that city that Jesus was going to go after and he was going to bring into the kingdom. In your sphere of influence, there are those. They may not look like it. They may be as far away from what you think a Christian looks like as a a man in the moon. But they're one of his And your job is to love them and proclaim the gospel to them. So as we finish up this section about suffering, are you willing to deny yourself to minister in the church? Are you willing to put your agenda second to be able to care for people who are in need? We can definitely improve in this area of being concerned about others. When people come into our church and visit, are are we aware they're a visitor? Are we aware that they may need encouragement and help? Or are we just about our own friendships? Is it all just about us and our little family? We have to have eyes of the Lord to see all people and people in our church. You know, I had a friend. I have a friend. didn't lose him. I have him still. Um, That's important. Friends are important. He was going through a very difficult time. Uh, he had lost his job. He was in the middle of trying to adopt a child from China. Um, he was out of work for, for at least a year. And then he had a job that wasn't paying very much. And I just assumed because he didn't say anything, everything was alright. And they really were in a battle. They were in a battle of faith and struggling. And we finally had to sit down and talk about it and and he just needed the encouragement to go forward with the adoption in the midst of incredible odds. But what, and the, 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 the end of the story is he adopted this beautiful little girl from China who is just a delight and a joy. We visited them on our way back, went our way through to South, South Carolina. Max particularly enjoyed meeting her because he kept telling her, don't get distracted with that. So she's quite the young lady. But here they were, financial crisis, going through this crisis of adopting. And the question I ask myself is, was I alert to that? Was anyone in the church alert to that? Or were we just all having a great time and not paying attention? We need to be more sensitive to where each other is at. And be open to be able to minister and care for each other. Are you willing to grow in your knowledge of God and be equipped for works of service? As we're going through right now, we have several opportunities for you to be equipped to be a better minister of the gospel. Stephen Lawson says, you're not going to rise above your view of God. You're not going to be an effective minister for Christ if you don't know God and who He is. We've had two wonderful lessons midweek on the attributes of God. They're excellent. And a lot of times our, our failing to be effective is because it's directly connected to how we believe, believe about God, how we believe about God. I would encourage you, come out on Tuesday night, for our lessons on the attributes of God. For you to be His minister, for you to represent Him, the more you know of Him, the more it's going to strengthen your ministry, strengthen your proclamation, and be useful. All of us need to grow in our knowledge of God. That's one. Number two, we have the fear of man. Study going on, at first light. Please come to first light. Please equip yourself to be able to deal with your own fear of man and to be a more effective minister for Christ. In the weeks to come, we're going to be dealing and beginning to talk about evangelism and equipping each of us with a simple way to clearly articulate the gospel of Christ to people. Ephesians 4 says it's our job to equip you for works of service in ministry. Are you willing to be equipped? Are you willing to deepen yourself in the Word of God to be useful for Him? Life is short. Life is short. Are we using our life for Christ? And finally, the last point, we're going to look at Paul's message The message Paul had to share was the word of God fully known. This mystery of the gospel. In Colossians 1, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. Aren't you grateful that we know the mystery? Aren't you grateful that it's no longer covered for us? That we understand the mystery of the gospel? That we understand that Christ died for us and has forgiven our sin, and that Christ now is in us, the hope of glory. We still live in a land where there's lots of gospel noise, but most of our people don't understand the gospel, they have been immunized from the gospel. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice, the mystery was hidden. And it wasn't meant to stay hidden. It was meant to be revealed at the right time. And notice, God revealed it to those he chose to reveal it to. To make known to them the great riches to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the Gentiles who were considered the dogs by Israel? Can you realize what it's like to all of a sudden have the gospel? And to know that Christ now lives in you. And that living in you is the hope of glory. That living in you assures you that God loves you. That living in you assures you that you're going to begin to become more and more shaped into the image of Christ. That living in you means you're now equipped and being equipped to be able to be a minister of the gospel to those around you. And that living in you means He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Your eternal destination is sure. And you can go all out. For the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Here's the gospel in capsule form. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We constantly have to preach the gospel to others. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel is you can't save yourself. You can't make yourself better. And you can't do anything of use for God. That's the gospel. You are unable to do that. Your righteousness will never cut it. You will never be able to be good enough for God. This is why Christ had to come. Christ was the God man. And he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. It's called the Great Exchange. He took our sin on the cross and he paid the penalty for that. And we got this incredible transaction where we received the righteousness of God. Do not lose sight of that. A lot of us start out believing in Jesus. And then, well, now it's time to get busy working at it because we've got to work at it. And I've got to do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C and all this and that. And if I don't, He's not going to be too happy with me. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is you were His enemy. You were a rebel. And Christ died for you while you were an enemy of God. To make you his friend. What a glorious message. We have people all around us who are enemies of God. The good news is Christ died. That they don't have to stay an enemy of God. That they can be loved by him. And be changed to become like Christ. And be used to to proclaim this glorious message to everyone that they're around. Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's not ashamed because the gospel has what? Power. Power to save the Jew and the Gentile. We've got to get the gospel right. Right? John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you, Jesus said to his disciples, that you love one another. Then he says this, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. My love for you, my love for you, gives you the ability to love others. I love you first. I came after you first. I captured you by the power of the Holy Spirit I love you whether your performance is an A, a B, a C or a D today I love you, I've died for you now take the love that I have for you and have that same love for everyone else, the lost the ones in our church who who are hurting our brothers and sisters who need encouragement take that love to them but don't get it wrong I loved you first, and my love never leaves you. Paul spends a whole chapter in Romans 8 talking about what can separate us from the love of God, and he says, There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in all creation, death or life or angels or demons or sickness or sword. I mean, he goes through this whole laundry list of things, and he says, What? You're loved. You are loved. You need to hear that every Sunday. You are loved. I am loved by God. And we don't deserve it. And because we don't think we deserve it, we go, well, okay, I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z to make sure He loves me. No. Christ did X, Y, and Z so that He loved you. Christ paid it all. He is the firm rock on which we stand. You are loved. Now go and love the church and love the lost and pour out your life as a sacrifice to them. We are so hardwired for works righteousness and performance religion. It just doesn't take a whole lot to get us back into that track. I didn't have my quiet time today. It's going to be a bad day. You know, God doesn't love me now because I don't have a quiet time. Really. I didn't, go, I didn't go to church Sunday and I should have gone. And, you know, I didn't pray yesterday. Christ loves you. Christ knows you are unworthy. Hold on to the fact that Christ loves you. There was a man, a Maasai warrior, who came to one of Billy Graham's evangelistic crusades in Amsterdam. Lived in a small little African village. And one day as he was walking down the dirty little road, a man shared the gospel with him. His name was, and this man's name was Joseph who received the gospel. And he was so excited. He trusted Jesus on the spot. He went back into his village. and he, The news was just so wonderful he could not stand it. And he went to every hut in that village. And he told them about Jesus and how he had died for them. And how they could have eternal life and all this. And, and he was met, surprisingly, with anger. And they drug him out in the middle of the little village. And they beat him to the point he couldn't even, he was unconscious. And they drug him out of the, drug him out of the village. Days later, he finally got his strength up he went back into the village he thought to himself okay there must be I must have said something wrong I must have got the message wrong somewhere here How, what part did I not say right because it really worked different with the other guy when he shared it he went back in he shared the same thing again the same result they got, he was beaten to the point of being unconscious drug out of the city left for dead but he got up again days later went back in this time he didn't even get a chance to open his mouth they grabbed him and began just to beat him. And the last thing he remembers was they were beating him. And he saw some women with tears in their eyes. He finally woke up. And he was actually in his own bed. And people in the village were caring for him. And much to his surprise, the entire village had trusted Christ. To be a minister of the gospel means we have to. There's sacrifice and suffering that comes, and in the midst of our suffering, we tell the message of the suffering Christ, and God does the rest. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word through the Apostle Paul. We thank you that you have, despite our unworthiness, made us ministers of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, that you have given us a stewardship, not just to be saved, but to carry this glorious message of Christ crucified to everyone that we come in contact with. Father, help us to take that more seriously. Father, help us to realize that to to spread the salvation of Christ, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take suffering. And Father, I pray you begin to strengthen us and toughen us up that we would be faithful ministers of yours. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to more and more equip ourselves to know who you are and to clearly understand this gospel and to know that we're not ministering to earn our salvation. We are already loved by you. We just have the tremendous privilege of taking this glorious message to all those who have never heard, and the tremendous privilege of of encouraging the saints in the church to become all that God wants them to be. Lord, help us to grow in these areas, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. come now to a time of prayer. I want to encourage you men to help us as we pray. I want to call on Justin Horseman, if you will, to begin our prayer. And then I'll close when we've completed it. It's coming with a microphone right there.